Hey, this is Micah Bosworth. I'm the pastor here at Ridgepoint, and this is our sermon podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this is an encouragement to you. Hope it helps to build your faith. And I hope it helps you to see that God is working in your life. Enjoy the message. 1 Peter chapter number 2, verses 11 and 12. The Bible says this. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you this morning and we ask as we dive into your word now, Lord, would you speak to us? Would you give us something that each and every one of us might be able to take to heart and, Lord, might able to be, uh, be able to apply to our lives as we live for you this week? God, I pray that every word that comes out of my mouth truly would just be uh, from your word and, Lord, would flow from your heart to us, your people, this morning. And I pray that every single one of us would take what we hear and we would live it out this week. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we uh, come to our passage this morning, we again see Peter reinforcing the idea that we belong to a different kingdom. We saw it right there at the beginning. We're just strangers and pilgrims here. We're just passing through the world, and it seems as though he is refocusing their attention on this because what he's about to say is that if we are living for this world, if we're getting a bit uh, too attached to this world, then it will most likely cause us to value our freedoms or right as a citizen of an earthly kingdom more than the call of our heavenly kingdom. We might value that money, power, or what we think we personally deserve in the workplace over the opportunity to suffer for Christ. We might conduct ourselves in our marriages and in our churches as if the other people around us are for our wants, our pleasure, and our needs rather than seeing these as opportunities to show the character of Jesus in our lives. And he tells us that If we keep in mind who we are, strangers and pilgrims, then what we do will be manifested in a way that is noticed by unbelievers. And we just may have an impact on their eternal soul as a result. He says in verse 11 and 12 there that our genuine conversation, that word conversation, we've talked about it before, is our conduct, our lifestyle, that our genuine lifestyle among the Gentiles, the Greek word there translated Gentiles is a word that just often is referred to uh, people outside of the Jewish faith, so the pagan nations. And so it could also just be saying this, that our genuine lifestyle among unbelievers, pagan nations, can have such an impact on their lives that when they stand before God, they will actually stand before him, not in judgment, but in praise because they know him. It's very akin to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Peter there is deriving the same principle by saying this, when you are living according to his kingdom, which is what the whole Sermon on the Mount is, kingdom principles. He says, when you're living according to his principles, his kingdom, then in this kingdom, this earthly kingdom, people who are not a part of the kingdom that you're a part of are gonna look at you and they're gonna go, huh, that's different. That's different than the way that we do things. And as a result, your light will shine in their hearts that it just may bring them to belief in Christ 
And then as a result, when they stand before God, they will not be there in judgment, but rather in praise because they know him. And then Peter, he begins to explain how that might look in our lives in the following verses. And in the Greek, the, word used to make, uh, the words used here make it even more obvious than we see here in the English that the next four sections are all connected to the thoughts in verse 11 and 12. Okay, what we're about to go through, the next four sections, uh, if you look at the Greek wording of it, it's very obvious it's flowing from verse 11 and 12. He's saying, you want to make an impact? You want maximum impact in this world? Here's how you conduct yourself. Okay, therefore, it really is the way you could say it, submit. Okay, he goes right in. Therefore, submit. And then he goes through these four sections of submission. Now that word submission is an interesting word. That word submit, we hear that. And most of us automatically go, don't like that, right? We don't, we don't like, as a whole, humans don't like to submit. We don't like people telling us what to do. But what Peter seems to be telling us is that as believers, our relationship dynamic is all centered around this idea of submission. See, what, what will help you and I to have a maximum impact to unbelievers is to let them see us live well in our relationships, the, the world, for the most part, they view all relationships as, what will this give me, right? That's what a lot of relationships in the world look like. And their relationship to government is generally, how will they better the economy for my pocketbook, right? How will they implement the policies that I want put in place? Our relationships in the workplace are often viewed through the lens of, how can they serve me? How much money will they give me? How can I, these people help me to get a promotion, our marriage relationships are often centered more around whether the other person will give us what we want or need. And our relationship, even in the church, can become selfishly driven by what we can get rather than what we can give. We become consumers of the music or of the preaching rather than a contributor in the Lord's work. See, so that's how the world operates. Is often, it's what about, what about this relationship can I get out of it? That's the idea that they're coming at, uh, whether that's relationship to government, in the workplace, in the marriage, or in the church. It's what can I get out of it? What are you going to give me? And that's our, the basis of this relationship. Peter flips that completely around here. In all four relationships, he says this, no, 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 no. That's not the relationship that believers have. We live according to the principles of a different kingdom, and in that kingdom, we submit to each other. We, we live by this principle of Submission. Now, uh, too often when we hear the word submit or submission, we think of like subservient to, right? That we, when I hear someone say submit, it's, it's almost like, like you're giving up everything and they're just going to walk right over you. But the word submit here is just simply saying this. You're putting yourself second. You're putting yourself under. A literal translation of the word is just putting yourself under. Okay, so in all of our relationships, this is what we do. You're first and I'm second. That's what we're looking at here, okay? You're first and I'm second. We submit in these areas of our lives. So what we find in scripture is that we ought to think more on the things of others than to think selfishly. We ought to esteem others better than ourselves. And Peter uses this word to describe our relationship dynamic with people, submission. And he specifically gives us four areas of our lives where we need to have submission in our relationships in society in the workplace in the family and in the church so let's dive into them first of all let's see what peter has to say about relating submissively in society okay look at verses 13 through 17 he says this submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the lord's sake 
whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So how are we to relate submissively in society? Peter says this, submit to your government authority. That's what he says. Now as red-blooded Americans, we instantly start to feel uncomfortable at that thought, right? In America, we have some awesome liberties that are meant to allow us to not live under a tyrannical government. But it's important to note that Peter is talking people, to people who were under a tyrannical government, Okay, you remember uh, some of the context we gave in the first week of this study? It was an uh, autocracy. Caesar, he made the rules. Taxation, it crushed people. There was cruel justice. And remember, the person in control at this time was Nero, the guy who was persecuting Christians, having them executed, having them arrested, and used as bait for lions for entertainment. Who, he, he used Christians as human candlelights on trees uh, to light up his festive night parties. That is their ruling government. That's their ruling government authority. And it's that authority that Peter is saying to them this, submit to every ordinance of. Wow. And it really puts into perspective then us when uh, something that is said or done, put in place that we don't necessarily like, then we get, as, like I said, red-blooded Americans, we all of a sudden go, what? Can't tell me what to do? And yet Peter here is very clearly saying, Obey, submit to every ordinance. Now, every time we get to this topic, there's always at least one person in the room that'll think, well, in America, our supreme government authority isn't a person, it's a document, right? It's the Constitution. So if a man is telling me to do something, I don't necessarily have to do it because they're not my supreme authority in this land, the Constitution is, right? And all of us Americans said, amen. I only have two rebuttals of that. First of all, the Constitution is not an inspired document by God. First Peter is, okay? Secondly, that would be a great argument, except that Peter doesn't just stop at saying we need to submit to the only supreme authority of the land. He gives a sequence of authorities to submit to, kings, governors, soldiers. The king commissioned the governors and soldiers. In America, the Constitution outlines the branches of power in our government. So a, a modern-day American rendering of this might say this, submit to the Constitution, to elected officials, and to law enforcement. Okay, let's just make it practical for us. Now, I understand there can be nuance to this conversation. There are times where those who are ruling under the supreme authority are not following the supreme authority of themselves. And in those cases, there may be a reason to appeal to a higher authority, as some do. Paul even appealed to Caesar at one point because he didn't feel like he would get a fair trial under the lower uh, ruling authorities. But, but let's take our American lenses off for just a moment, all right, and put our biblical Christian lenses on to view this in light of Scripture. Because I think that sometimes we can get so caught up in, but my rights, my freedoms, that we end up doing exactly what Peter tells us not to do here. He says, do not use your liberties as a cloak for maliciousness. We aren't using our, uh, uh, we, we uh, aren't using our rights for the good of other people in that sense. 
We're, we're wanting to cite the fact that we have rights in order that other people won't be able to tell us what to do. And I think that's sad to say, but especially in recent years, far too many American Christians and even Christian pastors in their pulpits lean more toward using our liberties as a cloak for maliciousness than we lean toward submission to government authority. The general rule in Scripture is this. Submit to earthly authority. That's the general principle in Scripture. Submit to earthly authority. There's one exception that's clear in Scripture. And it's this, if submitting to earthly authority means not submitting to heavenly authority, then we choose to not submit to earthly authority. That's the one exception, all right? If, if submitting to earthly authority means not submitting to heavenly authority, then we can't submit to the earthly authority. Some biblical examples, we know the midwives in Egypt, they were supposed to killed the firstborn and yet uh, many of them didn't. The book of Daniel tells us a several different ways that the king's meat was offered and yet they knew Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they knew we can't defile ourselves with the king's portion. We can't do so and so as a result, we're going to abstain from that. We're gonna disobey this earthly authority in this way. Even further in the book of Daniel, uh, the, the Nebuchadnezzar had arrested, uh, uh, erected that huge statue of himself and said, bow down to it. And what did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They said, sorry, can't do that. And then he goes, well, you're gonna get thrown in a fiery furnace. He's like, our God can deliver us from that, but we can't obey you because that would be disobeying him. And then later, Daniel is told, Darius makes a law that no one could pray to anyone except him. And Daniel says, actually, I'm just gonna do as I have Every single day, I'm going to open my windows toward Jerusalem and I'm going to pray to my God. And ended up, he ended up in the lion's den as a result. In the book of Acts, we see uh, Peter and John, the uh, Sanhedrin had made this command that you cannot preach in the name of Jesus Christ any longer. You cannot preach the gospel. And these are the words that Peter and John said. We must obey God rather than man. That's what he said. So if our government tells us what to, uh, something to do they tell us to do something that is contrary to Scripture, or they try to prohibit an action that is commanded by Scripture, then I'll be one of the first ones to say, we ought to obey God rather than man. But if what they're asking is just infringing upon my rights as an American, as a person, then I'm going to be more often deferring to the posture of submission. As Christians, we're never to be known as subversive troublemakers, but as model citizens. Why would we do this? Well, Peter tells us in verse 15 that we do it for God's glory. It's his will that we would live like this. And we do it to silence those that might otherwise speak against God because of the way that his people are acting. And then he brings it all together and says, so honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. But it doesn't just stop there. He moves on even further, not just in society, but in our relationships in the workplace we should be in submission. Look at verses 18 through 25. He says this, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward, or to the harsh. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongly. For what is it if uh, when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ has also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his body 
on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For ye were a sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Christians should be the best employees in the workplace. They should. And they should stand out because of their level to submission to their employer. You say, but pastor, you don't understand how hard it is to submit to them. You, you don't understand. It's agonizing all the things they tell us to do. Honestly, I'm suffering every day at work. It's hard. Peter says, well, not all authorities are going to be a piece of cake to work for. <laughs> That's what he says. Some might be froward, harsh, but you are still to submit. You feel like you're suffering in that environment? Peter says this, good, now you have a chance to display the character of Christ through unfair suffering. And I, he's not even beating around the bush. He's like, you think, oh, it's so agonizing. I'm suffering under this harsh ruler, this harsh person who I'm working for. And he says, hey, you know, there was another person who suffered some harsh things. Look at it as, as an opportunity to display the submission of Christ to his calling. Uh, look at some of the characteristics of submission he gives us from the example of Christ. He says he endured, he suffered, though he was blameless. He for, forwent vengeance. He didn't respond back in reviling or anger or threatenings, though that's what was coming his way. It says he, he put aside vengeance. He, he rested in confidence in God. He committed himself that the word there committed is in the imperfect tense, meaning he over and over repeatedly to the one that judges righteously committed himself. He, he in that whole process of uh, being beaten, being scourged, being uh, a, a crown of thorns put on his head, uh, being mocked, being lied about, being spit upon, every single aspect of the suffering, he said this, it's in your hands, Father. I'm committing myself to you, the one that judges righteously. And so I'm going to rest in confidence that he's got this. And when, when we're in the workplace and we're submit, submitting to the authority in our workplace that are over us, uh, it, it's a great opportunity to show that even through hardship and things that I don't necessarily like, I can endure because I'm not seeking revenge or vengeance. I'm, I'm looking to the Father and saying, Lord, it's in your hands. I'm just going to do it as, what does he say? He says, uh, as to the Lord, unto God. And so... <clears throat> Peter says to live in submission like that, to live like Jesus, even in a hard or harsh work environment, is commendable. It's thankworthy. It's, it's acceptable with God. But then he continues his thought again, but now by keying in on the marriage relationship. So let's look at, let's look at how we submit in the family or in the, in the marriage relationship. Look at, Chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, it says this, Likewise, okay, likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of the plating of hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, 
Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now I know reading that passage right there, those few verses, there's already some of you that are thinking, why are there so many words aimed at the wives and so few for the husbands, right? Uh, Why are there so few for the men? Well, let me tell you why. In this place and and in this time of world history, in first century Greco-Roman culture, women had essentially no rights at all. Okay, in that time of day, uh, in time and culture and history, women had essentially no rights. An unmarried woman living at home lived under the law uh, patria potestas, which was the absolute authority of the father in the home, to the point that they had the right to execute their children without any legal repercussions whatsoever because he owned them. That was the thought process at that time. And then when a woman got married then, the husband was now the owner of the wife that's what it was thought of in first century greco-roman culture and so the context of the passage is talking here about uh, that culture but then it's also uh, in the context of a passage that is talking about unbelievers being brought to god by the conduct of believers and so when peter transitioned here he's speaking very clearly of a wife who may have converted to christianity but their husband is still worshiping pagan gods See, the relationship of a wife was much more complex back then. If the husband converted to Christianity, the wife would follow. That's how the culture worked. The husband did something, everyone in the family followed. Okay? But if a wife would convert to Christianity, decided that she was going to follow Jesus, then there would probably be trouble then in the home because she's now uh, in, at odds with a husband who does not believe in Christ, who has not uh, converted to Christianity. So uh, Peter's really keying in on how a believing spouse can impact their spouse who is not obedient to the word of God. And, And he even says that the unbelieving or disobedient spouse can be won over by the lifestyle of a believing wife because of the way that she submits to her husband. The way that she submits to him. Now, how does he say that she will submit? What are some of the attributes of a godly, submissive wife here? Well, one of the things that he very clearly tells us is that her attitude is her prettiest feature. That's what he says. He says her spirit, her inward beauty, is much more than her outward beauty. Her attitude is her prettiest feature. Now, what what Peter says here about not plating a hair and not jewelry and all that, it's not a legalistic ban on style or fashion. All right, he's not saying that women shouldn't look nice or shouldn't use makeup or shouldn't use ju- or wear jewelry. He's saying this, the outside can look beautiful, but that's not what's going to win your husband. That's what he's saying. The, the outside can look beautiful, but that's not what's going to win your husband. What's going to win your husband is inward beauty. Proverbs 31 says, charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she will be praised. What's that inward beauty look like? He says, it's a gentle and quiet spirit. What does that mean? That word gentle is the word meek. And this doesn't mean you're just weak and uh, allowing everyone to walk over you. This is power under control, it's often said. The the truth is, a, a wife has a lot of power to affect the atmosphere in the house. So Peter is saying, be a wife who is under God's control. Your, your mouth is under God's control. Your responses are under God's control. 
So allow yourself to be under God's control, being gentle, and then being quiet. What's that word quiet? It's meaning tranquil, not quarrelsome. So wives, you want to win your husband? Allow God to work through your life to bring a calm tranquility to your home rather than allowing your pride to bring a contentious storm to your home. You want to win your husband? Then allow God to work through your life to bring a calm tranquility to your home. And then not only her attitude, but her admiration for her husband is an attribute of submission here. He says, uh, the former ladies of scripture is who he mentions. And he brings up Sarah specifically, uh, that she called Abraham Lord and obeyed him. Now, is he saying, so that means every single uh, wife needs to go to her husband today and say, Lord, what must I do today? No, okay, it's not saying you must call your uh, husband Lord. Although if you you read in in, uh, Genesis, it's, uh, pretty funny that I, I was listening to Tony Evans preach on this, and he said, you read in Genesis, and I went and looked it up. Right as she calls him Lord, all of a sudden, not too long, Isaac comes out. So she showed that respect, and Abraham was able to do things he never thought he was able to do for a long time. So I'm just saying, uh, it, it might work, but, uh, but what, it's not telling us you have to call her or call him Lord. It, it's a term of endearment and respect. So what he's saying is this, uh, that uh, you need to reverence and admire your husband. Uh, show affection there. I, I think too often uh, for wives, it's underestimated how effective and fortifying it is to a marriage for your husband to feel like you actually admire and respect him. So, so wives, instead of being self-centered and viewing your husband through the lens of what can he do for me, why isn't he living up to my expectations and so on, submit yourself to your husband through a gentle and tranquil spirit and show him admiration, okay? But husband, you're not getting off the hook because he continues in, all right? He says this, likewise. Now, I've never heard this said before, um, but at, at least in a pulpit, I've, I read it in some commentaries this week, so I have heard it said before, but uh, I've, I've never heard it in a pulpit before, but most people in this portion of scripture take the verb from Paul's writings in Ephesians that a husband should love his wife and says, so likewise, husbands, love your wives by dwelling according to a knowledge and all that. That's not what it's saying here. What's the theme of this passage so far? Submission, right? Submit, 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 submit. Likewise, submit. Likewise, husbands. So what, what's the indication here? Husbands, you've got some submitting to your wife to do. That's what it's saying. You submit to your wife as well. How does a husband submit to his wife? Well, he considers her needs constantly. It says, dwell according to knowledge and understanding. You should know what your wife likes. You say, what do you mean? Like what kind of food she likes, what kind of movies she likes, what kind of physical affection she likes? Yes, all of it. In order to uh, uh, have knowledge of your wife, it's going to require you study your wife. I, I say it this way sometimes. I am an expert in Rebecca-ology. All right? I'm a Rebecca-ologist. I'm, I'm an expert in the study of Rebecca Bosworth. You say, but pastor, it's, it's so hard to study my wife because her likes and her wants and her needs are constantly changing like every other day. I didn't say it was an easy area of study but it's an area of study that you gotta do. You gotta submit to your wife. You need to constantly be taking into consideration her needs, is what Peter says. But not only does he consider her needs constantly, a, a husband who's submitting to his wife is honoring her. He honors her. 
Husbands, don't degrade your wife to other people. There's a time and place, I believe, for all of us to joke and laugh about our spouses and how we think or act, but people know when it's crossed over the line from having fun to picking someone apart. So don't be the husband that's constantly parading the faults of his wife in front of other people. Honor her, cherish her in front of God, in front of people, and especially in front of your children. Honor your wife. And then he says he provides strength for her. A husband who is submitting to his wife will provide strength for her. When Peter calls the wife the weaker vessel, it's not uh, meaning a wife is weaker intellectually. There are quite a few wives out there that are smarter than their husbands. It, it doesn't mean that she's weaker emotionally. That they're, uh, In fact, I, I think women are a little bit more emotionally uh, strong than men because they can actually talk about their emotions, right? You ask a woman about their emotions, they can talk about them. You ask a man, hey, what is that, how does that make you feel? Blank stares, right? They don't even know how to talk about it. We're just like, what are you, talk, what are you talking about? So I, I don't think it's weaker emotionally uh, either. It's not, uh, it's not weaker spiritually. I know a great deal of wives who are more spiritual than their husbands. This is just very simply speaking physiologically, saying generally women don't have the physical strength that men have. If you look at even science, women's blood has more water and 20% fewer red blood cells, so she is more likely to tire easily. Now again, that's generally true, not always true, but uh, generally true. So what's the principle here? Just that we should be able to lift heavy furniture when our wives want to rearrange the house? Well, yes, it does mean that, okay? But that's not all it means. It also means that if you are studying your wife, you're considering her needs, then you'll notice the soft spots in her life. And a husband who is putting his wife above himself will offer strength where there is weakness in her life. A a, a husband who is submitting to his wife will recognize weak areas and offer strength in those areas. And then lastly, how does a husband submit to his wife? He does life together with her. How does he say it? As being heirs together of the grace of life. Listen, husbands, this may be hard to comprehend because we're so emotionally inept at times, but your wife does not want more things or more money. She wants more you. She wants more of you. So do life with her. Include her in your life. Don't treat her as just another mouth to feed or another body in your home. She is your helper. She is your companion. Do life together with her. Peter goes on to say that husbands that don't treat their wives this way may find that their spiritual walk with God is hindered. Satan would love to get the husband of the home off course because he knows that could cause the entire house to go off course. And he uh, would love to interrupt your relationship with God by causing you to focus more on yourself in pride than to submit to your wife. So wives, husbands, submit to each other in the home. But then let's evaluate lastly how submissive relationships work in the church, in the church. He says, finally, verse number eight of chapter number three, finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. 
but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. For the sake of time, uh, let me just hit this uh, last point quickly. How do we submit to others in the church? One, by our uh, general attitude. He says that we should have a spirit of unity, that we should uh, live in uh, a way that we're submitting or by the way of being all of one mind, being in unity, having a spirit of unity. He says the word compassion, the Greek word there, uh, compassion is sympathos, where we get our word sympathy from. Have sympathy for the brethren. Love as brothers should. Uh, that word pitiful or tenderhearted, the original word means your intestines. You're like, that's kind of weird, <laughs> right? That word pitiful there, it uh, literally translated this way would say this, have good bowels. That's the literal translation of the Greek word there. It, would, it was believed in that time that the deepest things you feel were in your intestinal region. And we think of this too in general terms when we say, what is your gut telling you, right? Like, well, what, do you, what do you feel in your gut? So ha- what is... Uh, Peter's saying here, he's saying, have deep, deep affection for each other. And then he says, courteous, be humble-minded. Uh, so just our general attitude in general, uh, our, our attitude in general will bring about a spirit of submission if we're living this way amongst others in the church. But then also by our responses. We don't seek evil on each other. We aren't vengeful with each other. We don't bicker and complain at each other constantly. Peter says this, we are called to be a blessing to each other. So what, what's our motivation for living like that with, our, uh, with each other in the church? Well, Peter says this in verse 10, he says, for, he's saying, you need to live like that amongst yourselves for this reason. And then he quotes from the psalm. He quotes from a psalm of the Old Testament scripture and he's essentially saying this, the reason we do it is because God said so in his word. God said to be like this. He says, you know what the Bible says, so act accordingly. You know what the Bible says, so act accordingly. So as we close, I wanna give us the same challenge. We know what the Bible says. We've heard what the Bible says. Will we act accordingly? The, the relationship dynamic of most in this world is one that is self-centered. Always looking out for what's in it for one's self. But as Christians, we're called to submit, to put ourselves secondary in the situation and to esteem, honor, love, and serve others above our own personal rights, desires, and needs. So let's evaluate ourselves. Are we relating to our government in submission or are we more often thinking of our own personal rights? Are we enduring the hardships of the workplace as we serve or are we causing a stir with our responses to people? Are, are we putting our spouse above ourselves or are we causing strife because we're expecting them to fulfill our own desires and needs? And are we serving our, uh, each other in love and humility in the church? The world says this, people are a means to a purpose, right? You want that promotion? Use whoever you gotta get to get there. You, you, you want uh, to get uh, a certain level of uh, desire met in your marriage, then use your wife or your husband to get there. That, uh, people, by the world standards, are a means to a purpose. And relationships often suffer as a result of this ideology. But God says this, people are the purpose. People are the purpose. You are called, going all the way back to verse 11 and 12 of our passage in chapter number two, you are called 
to make a difference in people's lives, that they may look at your life and come to know Jesus as a result. How do we do that? We live well, and we live and relate to people in humble submission. Thank you so much for joining us. A special thanks to those that give generously to our ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. For more information about our ministry, check out our website at wenatchechurch.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with your friends, hit the share button or take a screenshot and share it on your social media, and tag us at Wenatchee Church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.